The last of the great human freedoms is the ability to choose one's attitude in any given circumstance. And I can extract myself from the suffering because my attitude can trump my ego's frustration about the situation if I lock in power of my mind to choose differently. I'm gonna master this thing called teaching and I'm gonna do whatever it takes, I'm gonna travel whatever distance, I'm gonna pay whatever price to give my service of love across this planet. And I'm not gonna let any human being on the face of this planet stop me, not even myself. And genius is available in all of us in the area of our highest value when we care enough intrinsically to be inspired to go after solving those problems. It's, it's waiting for all of us to do that. We can expand our awareness, consciousness, to expand who we are as beings into this new human being that we're becoming. It's the tension and the contrast that actually helps to push us through to the next level of evolution. Our cells have consciousness and so does the bacteria. So we can also tune into our bodies and, and work with our bodies more knowing that and appreciating these billions of points of consciousness. Now when that change takes place, the momentum that's created in our life from that moment on is monumental insights, the wisdom, the guidance, the direction, the spontaneous goodness, serendipity, coincidence, things start to work together for good because we're now in a flow of our personal mind, but we're in the flow of the mind of God. Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast. This is a show entirely devoted to the exploration of physical vitality, emotional well-being, and mental fitness. I'm your host and tour guide, Ronnie Landis. I'm a multiple published author, international speaker, performance health coach, global activist, and wellnesspreneur. So buckle your seat, get ready to take notes, and enjoy the ride. It's go time. Before we start the show, I want to highlight one of our sponsors, which is an incredible spring water company called Alive Spring Water, which delivers the cleanest, highest quality, pure living water directly to your doorstep. I have been a spring water fanatic for over 10 years, and incorporating spring water into my lifestyle has been one of the single biggest game changers in my overall health and also in the well-being of all of my clients. There is something truly magical about consuming pure living water directly from its source and literally rebuilding all of your red blood cells from it. It's a type of energy and level of hydration that nothing else compares to. Alive Spring Water delivers fresh spring water in select areas including all over California and is tested for impurities, environmental contaminants, and total dissolved solids. They also ship their water in beautiful flower of life geometry glass jugs which are perfect for storing water and dispensing it from the kitchen or office countertop. Check out their website at www.alivewaters.com to see if they ship in your area. They also ship their custom made glass jugs all over the world and they come in all sizes including glass dispensers. You can use the code HPHEALTH, that code is HPHEALTH, like high performance health, HPHEALTH, to receive a discount on your water and glass orders. Also, make sure to check out their sister site, www. 
findaspring.com, which is a worldwide repository for natural springs that has been tested and secured. This is a great way to discover new spring water sources in your local area that you can go to and fill up your new bottles at for yourself and for your family. Those websites, again, are www.alivewaters.com. That's A-Live, L-I-V-E, waters.com, and www.findaspring.com. Now, let's get ready for today's show. Greetings and aloha. Ronnie Landis coming to you here on another episode of the Holistic Human Optimization Show. We are in season four, episode two, Immunological Momentum. What an incredible uh, topic. What an incredible idea. This idea that you can create immunological momentum. One of the ideas that I think is really probably the most fundamental and the most important idea of success in anything is being able to create momentum. I found in business, in my client work, in healing particularly, healing the body, um, all forms of healing, any kind of transformative journey, the ultimate source of power is your momentum. What ends up happening, and this is an interesting segue, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this a little bit more as we go through a lot of the details, is um, this idea that we don't heal in of ourselves, meaning that we don't heal as an isolated, individuated human being alone in the universe, alone in our situation. We actually heal through multiple pathways of support, both visible and invisible, and you could, you could take that more to the metaphysical level. We've talked so much about a lot of those ideas, so I don't think that that's a, a hard sell. But in your body, your body is so perfectly designed to heal itself, to transform itself, and it's all about creating momentum, right? And I want to take that back to the life principle for a second. Creating momentum is the most powerful thing because you basically can be supported through what's called a carrier wave of momentum. In other words, you can ride the momentum. We know this in business, for example, that you start building something, you put the pieces together. In the beginning, it's usually a little challenging. There's, there's resistance. There's um, a lot of upfront investment of time, energy, resources, and um, it can be a bit of a, a challenge to get things going. But the, the, the sweet spot is that momentum that you create. Once you get the puzzle pieces together and you get everything kind of moving in the same direction – All of a sudden, this momentous energy starts to come through, and then you ride that wave all the way through. Well, we're going to take that idea, and we're going to apply it to the physical body, particularly your immune system. And so this idea of immunological momentum, it's something that I think is it's a a great term, and it really is a very accurate term to describe what the immune system really is. What is it really doing? And why do I bring that up? Well, this episode is about how to develop an invincible immune system. So when we think of immunity, we think of the immune system. Essentially, immunity is really about adaptation and modulation. 
It never stays static and it's not unidirectional. What I mean by unidirectional is that you have a lymphatic system and we're not going to go into the ins and outs of the lymphatic system right here, but basically you have a lymphatic system which is part of your it's part of a major part of your immune system. It's part of the um, the cleansing and detoxification system of the body. And the lymphatic system, the lymphatic fluids move in a unidirectional movement, meaning that they rise upward through the lymph nodes in the lymphatic system. They rise up, up into about the neck area, then drop back down into the blood. It moves in one direction ultimately. That's what unidirectional means. And that also is a term that we use in certain classifications of herbalism or medicine, unidirectional, meaning it's like an immune stimulant or something. It stimulates the immune system in one direction. So if you have a cough or a cold or something, then you need something that's going to stimulate the immune system. But ultimately, invincible immunity is about adaptation and modulation. So reprogramming the immune system essentially to work at peak potential, peak capacity, where you're not, you're not subject to these, these low immunity issues, right? Those are called inferior conditions in the tonic herbal system, right? We don't want to be susceptible to getting sick, to getting coughs, colds, flus, viral infections, all these different things. We don't even want to get there, but if we are there, then we need to bring the immune system back up to into sufficiency and then create a modulation, which we're going to talk about. So, the, so the, essentially, the immune system self-regulates itself. If it needs to go up, it goes up. If it needs to go down, it goes down, but it's never at a deficit or, or too much. It's self-regulatory. That is really – and it, it's adaptable. So you create this resilience and this adaptability which we're going to talk about adaptogens a little bit, but that's really, that's the, the ethos. That's the idea behind creating invincible immunity. Okay. So we got a lot to talk about in this episode. The place I want to start with us all is talking about the nature of disease. Now, this is going to set up a bit of a framework, a way of looking through essentially a pair of glasses that we can use to look through on this topic and uh, what what I think is really important to, is to understand what I call the nature of disease. Now, that's a long topic. The basic idea here that I want to talk about is the two fundamental causes of all forms of physical disease, which essentially means a body and mind out of ease, right? So we talked a lot about the mind-body connection. That's going to that's gonna come back into this conversation, but it's basically a body and mind out of ease. So there's friction, there's distress, and there's two fundamental forms of distress on the physical body itself. Either it's a case of toxicity or it's nutrient deficiency, and in most cases, it's probably both. So I want to share um, a bit of information on each one of these. So when we think of toxicity, what is this? This is a state where one has created a level of exposure or reach, I should say, the body has reached a level of exposure or saturation of agents that are quote-unquote toxic. So electromagnetic frequencies, chemical solvents, airborne toxins, xenoestrogens, cleaning supplies, pesticides, plastics, heavy metals, um, radioactive isotopes, radioactive minerals. All of these are 
they're toxins essentially, right? The body has a venting slash filtration system built in to aid in eliminating these various toxins on a daily basis. The problem arises when these filtering mechanisms become blocked up and the toxins recirculating back into the bloodstream. Okay, this is something called auto-intoxication. The term auto-intoxication is also known as autotoxicosis and endogenic toxicosis or essentially self-poisoning. These are all ter- intestinal intoxication is another one. These are all terms to describe auto-intoxication. Um, this is a condition where waste products accrued from basic metabolism, so so end products of the, met, me, the metabolic digestive process are released. Um, th- this is this is basically the self poisoning idea. When waste products sit in our intestinal tract longer than required, they begin to generate toxic byproducts that get reabsorbed. Okay through the bloodstream. This can create a lightheadedness, a cloudy thoughts, or a feeling of intoxication, thus auto-intoxication. Um, it was even believed by the Egyptians that a fever was caused by the petrification or the quote-unquote fermentation of fecal matter in one's bowels, which literally off-gas biological chemicals into the circulatory system. I know that, that that might sound gross or whatever, but that's basically what's happening to people all the time. That's why colon hydrotherapy, getting colonics, um, you know, doing enemas, cleaning out the bowels, cleaning out the intestinal system, cleansing, detoxification. This is why this is so critically important for us to understand um, and not something just to put off to the side or make a luxury. Cleansing, detoxing and colon hydrotherapy, cleaning out the intestines and the bowels, repopulating the microbiome. All of this is essential for developing invincible immunity. And then the second thing is deficiency. So this is just a state where one has reached a depletion of key nutrients or assorted nutrients needed for optimal health. So for example, the most common deficiencies plaguing our population are vitamin B12. I'd say all vitamin B vitamins with that too, vitamin B9 and B12 work together. Omega-3 fatty acids, particularly DHA, uh, things like magnesium, vitamin C, vitamin D3, tryptophan, which is um, the amino acid that creates serotonin, probiotics, zinc, silica, selenium, tyrosine, which is an amino acid that creates dopamine, lithium, which is an important mineral for brain health, something everybody should know about, and um, and there's many other things, but these are these seem to be the most common nutrients and micronutrients that people easily run deficiencies on. And you could take this conversation all the way back to our prior episode in season one on my favorite supplements that really take care of the vast majority of these in conjunction with the right lifestyle, right? That's a key here that supplements are not a replacement for eating habits, but if you do everything and you stack the odds in your favor, you stack the deck as fully as you can, then that's how we're going to create this invincible immunity idea. Okay, so I just wanted to set that up as a precursor for all of this, especially for this season, because we're talking about longevity strategies, how to live longer and how to get more out of this life, more years, more quantity and quality together. So these are interesting principles that just seem to tie together. So 
let's uh, let's start getting into the immune system. We have a good amount of things that we need to discuss, so let's jump right into it. The first thing that I want to talk about is that you have your your immune system is not just one thing. Your immune system is a, a conglomerate of systems that all work in harmony and all have different unique programs or software programs designed for different aspects of essentially being the governing protective agency of your human biology, you know? And so we're going to, we're going to get into that. So there's two main types of immunity. There's innate immunity, which is also called non-specific immunity, or it's the rapid response first line of defense aspect of your immune system. And then you also have what's called the acquired immune system, which is the adaptive or specific immunity. This is a slow response, highly selective and highly intelligent, sophisticated aspect of your immune system. So we're going to break that down a little bit so we understand what are the primary functions of each one of these compartments and how do they work in conjunction. And if anything, it's just really fascinating. The the the, the more I dug into all of this, and I, I, dove, I dove all all this is kind of in one of my books from many years ago, but I just researched, re-researched all of this to prepare for this um, this episode. Totally blown away, you know, totally blown away by by the implicate perfected design of the human body, and we've talked about that before. But this just brings it into another lens of like, wow, my body is really truly designed to heal itself to regenerate itself, to protect itself, to stay in a peak state of optimal capacity, energy, performance, mental acuity. Um, It's quite amazing. So when we understand this and we have the right point of view, we do realize that this is the way that works, that we are designed to live as long as humanly possible, well over 100 years for sure. Um, Then we can, again, start stacking the deck. Start using this information with the correct attitude, the correct belief system upgrade, then who knows what's possible. So let's talk about the innate immune system. Again, this is the rapid response, first line of defense. So imagine that your body is like a castle or a kingdom or maybe a queendom for some of you ladies. Imagine that your body is the castle and then you have the first line of protected defense system and those pathogens, those viruses, bacteria, the fungal, the, the parasites, mold, yeast, fun, whatever, all those invasive opportunistic organisms, imagine they're trying to get to the castle, but you have your first line of your, your immune armada, your immunological army. It's protecting the perimeter, right? And then depending on the situation, if, you, if your immune system gets weak, and you have a low immunity, then the drawbridges get lowered. And then that first that first line of defense gets overwhelmed, they get knocked down, and then these organisms make their way through the first line of defense. That is when the adaptive or acquired immune system kicks in. But we're gonna we're not gonna go there quite yet. I just want to make the example. So there's actually a lot to talk about with the innate immune system. Um, the, the innate immune system, these are all kind of the, the terms and the chemicals associated with it. So you have your, your, your erythrocytes, you have your leukocytes, which are your white blood cells. 
You have your neutrophils, your eosinophils, your basophils, your monocytes, and your macrophages. You're like, man, what is all that? Well, you can do your own research. We're going to talk a little more about leukocytes in a different, different aspects of what's called leukocytosis as we move forward. But let's talk about macrophages. Because this is when it gets really, really fascinating. I'm going to keep this super simple for everyone and also so we can keep moving on with our, our topic here. So let's talk about inflammation. The inflammation response is part of your immune system. So the way that it basically works is that your, it's your body's response to tissue damage or microbial invasion, i.e. opportunistic foreign organisms. Your macrophages... When, when the inflammation process starts, your macrophages begin a process called phagocytosis. And there's a lot of big words. You can look into it. Just follow along. So a process called phagocytosis is initiated, which essentially is designed to attack the foreign invaders upon introduction. So again, that's your first line of defense. These macrophages, the phagocytosis, phagocytes, um, leukocytes, all these different things. They all are part of that first line of defense, keeping you protected from oncoming um, adversarial organisms, let's say. Okay, cool. Now, the next thing I want to talk about, which is far more fascinating to me, is this process called interferon. So interferon or the interferon process basically interferes with viral replications. That's where it gets its name, interferon. So just... Just take that in. Interferon interferes with viral replications. Now, let's talk a little bit about how viruses work because it's taken me a long time over many, many years to draw the correlation between some of our most common quote-unquote incurable conditions, cancer of all kinds, um, autoimmune conditions, etc., etc. It is not a far reach. And there are highly credible um, doctors, such as this doctor. Um, he's not around anymore. He was a doctor in uh, Tijuana, Mexico, that worked with people that nobody else saw, that they literally would have to go across the border to work with him. And I really just heard about him through David Wolf, because David Wolf worked with him for about 10 years um, on and off in his clinic. And he would just tell amazing stories. But the point is that apparently Dr. Hitt's perspective was that all conditions, all disease issues in the body are the result of some kind of viral infection. Now, this starts to make a lot more sense. And what are we doing? We're simplifying and distilling a lot of the complexities around all these topics to get right to the core, right? Nutrient deficiencies, environmental toxicity. That's simplifying things very quickly so we can start to look through the lens of common sense because the scientific literature isn't necessarily geared to convey common sense. It just, it just talks in abstract language oftentimes and people get so hoodwinked and so thrown on these wild goose chases of abstract intellectualism that they don't even get the common principles that are causative for, or potentially causative or for you know, correlations anyways, but did the causative, let's use the word causative, let's own that for a second here, that are causative of the most common conditions that are, you know, otherwise named incurable. 
Right. I don't want to go on a rant here. I feel I feel the rantiness inside of me kicking in. So let's stay on topic here. So viruses. What do viruses do? Viruses infect and reprogram the cell. That's essentially what it does. Now, an important distinction, I learned this many, many years ago through Dr. Bruce Lipton. Viruses don't infect the mitochondria as previously thought. Okay, this is an important distinction. The mitochondria is part of the energy supply depot in producing something called ATP, adenosine triphate, um, triphosphate, and, um, and other associated compounds, but ATP in particular, which is an energy packet. So that's how your body produces energy. Now, what is found out is that viruses actually infect what is called the nucleus, which is the reproductive portion of the cell. So essentially what the viruses are doing is that they're infecting and they're pirating on like a pirate going onto a new ship and taking it over. They pirate onto the cell. They reprogram it to start replicating and viruses need a host. Just like all these organisms, they actually are designed like a parasite. It's parasitical. It needs a host in order to survive and ultimately to thrive. But the way that pathogens, parasites and viruses, candida, all that, the way that they thrive is by turning their environment upside down to the host. So essentially they're robbing the host. They're stealing from the host. And these things rob nutrients from us. They thrive in a lower pH where our blood chemistry needs to be in a mostly alkaline 7.43 or something um, pH scale, slightly alkaline. And um, but but that, you know, but then they draw the, the pH down and become more acidic and et cetera, et cetera. We've gone into this before, I think. So it produces its own RNA and proteins and then just starts reprogramming the, the cellular program and then creates, creates this, this spreading, which we also might call a metastasization, a metastasis of a cancer cell. Now, you may be thinking, okay, well, if it's the same process, then does that stand to reason that cancer has a viral component to it? And the answer is simply yes. In every single case, it may even have a fungal component to it as well, as well as other other associated components, because every situation is unique. But ultimately, at the cell site, the the inception point of the condition remains the same, I believe. Um, So we're going to talk more about that as we go through other episodes. This is the same thing with calcium-forming organisms, nanobacteria. Um, the same thing with Lyme disease and the spirochete tick and how that and the, the, um, the biofilm, calcification, hardened protein layers around the cancer cell or the tumor. These are all very similar commonalities that these organisms use to protect themselves from the immune system. That's worth mentioning that when we're when our innate immune system is lowered and reduced and weakened then that's when the problem really starts and we also have to develop the acquired immune system as the backup support just in case we need that backup so let's continue on this interferon thing and finish this out so when a cell is invaded by a virus the cell releases interferon. So the invaded cell releases this interferon chemical, which travels through the extracellular fluid 
to plug into a healthy, non-virally infected cell. And then it causes the healthy cell to produce what's called inactive enzyme proteins, which are designed to, um, to basically lay dormant in the healthy cell so when the viral replication, the viral, the virus makes its way to the healthy cell, then upon contact, these enzyme proteins activate, and then they start to begin to delete the viral RNA and the protein of the virus and stop it from spreading further. So it's, it's kind of like a, a catch and trap type of situation. Very sophisticated, very interesting to even think about this process and all the complexities and the, the intelligence that goes into it. And then you also have something called natural killer cells. So natural killer cells target cancer and viral cells, otherwise known as mutagenic cells, mutated cells. Um, and they do this through the release of a chemical called perforins. And the way that this works is the natural killer cells, which they, they glob onto an infected cell, and then through the release of these perforin chemicals, it creates a pore, it creates porousness inside the outer membrane layer, the membrane layering of the infected cell, which makes it very permeable. It opens it up so that water and ions can seep into the cell. And the, and the infected cell will end up swelling until it bursts. They could, this is called lysis, you know, the, the, the spontaneous bursting or exploding of an infected cell. Um, so that's pretty interesting. That's very interesting to just kind of get a detailed explanation of all the systems and all the functions of the innate immune system and how it protects us intelligently um, each and every day. And then let's move on to the acquired immune system. This is the adaptive or specific immunity. Again, it's the slow response, highly selective and intelligent targeting system that is the second tier of your immune system. It's the backup support. Now, this is, this is extremely just extremely important to know about. I bring it up too because it's not something that's often talked about very often um, unless you get really detailed into these things. But when you start studying herbalism, you get into the superfood thing, um, you start learning terms like adaptogenic or adaptogens. And that's basically what we're talking about here. So from an herbal perspective, the way that you build the acquired immunity, which ultimately becomes the most powerful aspect of your immune system. This is what keeps you from getting a cold. Even if your frontline defense systems go down, that acquired immunity will come in right away and neutralize those foreign invaders. And so the acquired immunity is like, that's what you acquire through your life. It's like what you build. It's like in the Chinese Taoist um, perspective that we talked about, if you, you remember the Tonic Herbalism 101 talk, that's like your postnatal jing. That's your life potential. That, that's what you can cultivate and create. And your innate immune system is kind of like your prenatal jing. It's your genetics. It's kind of like somewhat of your disposition. It's what you're given. And then the acquired immune system is like your, your, your potential. It's what you can cultivate and create independent of your disposition, independent of a weakness that may be going on. You can strengthen your adaptogenic 
resiliency through nourishing and reprogramming, essentially upgrading the immune operating system. So some of the primary ways that we do this, medicinal mushrooms. Medicinal mushrooms are the classification of what we call herbs. They're not really herbs. I mean, they're, they're fungal genetically. They're, they're fungus. They're fungi. And they're sacred fungi. They're the most powerful mushrooms and some of the most powerful substances in the world, particularly for the immune system. Reishi mushroom in particular is the most well-studied herb in the world, and it is revered for its ability to rebuild immunological function, immunological fortification. Um, it was even called the great protector by the, the Taoists as well as many other things. And that really speaks to its ability to rebuild immunological function. Shaga mushroom is another incredible one, especially for um, its anti-mutagenic, antiviral, anti-cancer effects. So using the, the shaga and the, the reishi as an innate and adaptive immunological protective force is amazing. There's, you know, there's cordyceps, there's lion's mane, there's agaragus blazi, there's tremetes, turkey tail, um, many, many, you know, polypore mushroom. There's many, many more, but those are the two primary focuses that I would have you really get started with. Then we have another category called adaptogenic herbs. Adaptogenic herbs are adaptogens. They're the top 50 probably tonic herbs in the world that have incredibly adaptogenic potential, um, basically making you more resilient. And we talked about adaptogens in great detail, I think, in that, that episode, so we won't go deeper into that. And then the last thing is immune-modulating herbs. So again, the medicinal mushrooms in particular are immune-modulating, meaning that they modulate the immune system um, to respond accordingly to whatever is going on. They do not hyper-stimulate it, and they don't hyper-down-regulate it. They create a modulation, so the immune system essentially becomes self-generative. It becomes self-selecting. It becomes self, yeah, self-generative is a great word. Basically, it becomes intelligent. You increase the intelligence of the immune system itself, and then you don't need to worry about getting sick. You don't need to worry about, you know, coughs and colds and flus and all that kind of thing. You're good. You're protected. This is how you develop invincible immunity. Okay, so we still got a good amount of stuff to talk about here, and um, so let's let just let that sit in for a second. I'm going to switch gears. I want to talk about um, something called leukocytosis, and leukocytosis is basically an immune system reaction, and there's five different variations of this condition, and leukocytosis is not really a condition. It's a precursor for all known health conditions, so... Again, it's an immune system reaction. It sends up, there's an alarm that gets sent off in the defense systems. And then there's something called leukocytes that gets sent out in um, various forms to basically guard that innate, that innate function to guard the um, perimeter, right? To guard the, guard your biology, guard your body. Um, so there's something I want to, I, I don't want to get into too far into that. What I want to talk about is digestive leukocytosis. Now, if you remember one of the original episodes on raw living foods 101, I think I referenced, um, an incredible scientist from the 1920s and 1930s 
His name is Dr. Paul Kuchkov. Now, Dr. Paul Kuchkov is famous for detailing through his scientific experiments the potential effects that cooked food, cooked water, um, processed food has on our immune system. And, and this is one of the arguments, one of the things in the raw food community that we've all used as, um, as a way to validate you know, the effects of raw foods and the detriment of cooked foods. Now, what I want to preface with this, just to keep a balanced perspective, that those those studies were done in the 1920s and 1930s. Now, Paul Kuchkoff did an extensive amount of studying, an extensive amount of research. So I want to preface that too, because according to my research as of now, I'm not aware of anyone that's documented research to replicate these findings. Now, that's also the same for Masaru Emoto and his research. So let's keep a balanced perspective that the person doing the research has a direct effect on the results of the research itself. So if there's a skeptic and somebody is highly invested in something not working, they are through the observer effect of quantum mechanics – they are going to stack the probabilities that that does not work. And now because of the placebo, the nocebo effect, all the stuff that we know about, we know that the conventional scientific model has serious flaws. Um, And we need to update it with the information that we're at. The observer has a direct effect on the results and the perceived results as well. So just keeping all that in balance, I want what I want to talk about is getting back to common sense. And also what Paul Kuchkoff discovered is that there's a certain boiling point to water. And there's also a certain heat treatment point to food, essentially. So the basic, the basic premise is this. Digestive leukocytosis is a process where because through the digestive process and what we're putting in our body – Um, It has an effect on our immune system. And so what he discovered is that when somebody eats a predominantly cooked food diet, processed food diet, they don't have much raw food or any raw food in their diet. Every time they take in that cooked food, they're going to initiate digestive leukocytosis and they're going to send off a white blood cell immune reaction. That's the basic discovery. Um, and then we all, he also found out that this is the same thing with water. When you boil water between 170 and even to the height of 189 degrees Fahrenheit, that can initiate a white blood cell immune reaction in the person that drinks that water. Now, I want to say something from my personal experience about this. I've known about that research for about 10 years. It was very common in, in the, the circles I used to run with. And through my exploration into tonic herbalism, into alchemy, tincturing, um, being a spring water fanatic and and connecting with water itself, I have to say that um, I know that that's a fact. I know that that's true because my connection with water as a substance and, you know, going to live springs is different than a water filtration system and drinking that your whole life. The connection to water and the life force of water and the relationship with water and how water affects our, our body is just significantly different. It's just a different experience. So I have to bring that perspective in because most people won't have that perspective. They look at water as just H2O. It's this opaque substance. There's no real like life force in it. It's like, yeah, because most of the water people have drink 
is void of life force. There's no life in their water. There's no mineral structure. There's no encoded information, really. It's a blank slate. So we, we, I just want to bring that in, too, because I've noticed that there is an effect when I, when I boil water. I can feel it. I can feel it in my body. I can feel the effects when I'm making certain herbal concoctions, even you know different things that require heat treatment. There are nuances to this. You know, if you're if you're boiling, let's say um, shaga chunks or reishi mushroom chunks, like the physical chunks, you're making your bone broth or something. There is utility to this. However, you don't leave those decoctions. You don't leave them boiling for a long period of time. You might instigate high temperatures of heat to get the process going, but then you simmer it down and create a baseline for which those substances can incubate in a certain temperature that still releases all the nutrients, but over an elongated period of time. It's like usually a day, two days, three days, maybe four days, that kind of thing. So um, I want to bring that perspective in and something everybody should think about when they're making their teas, they're making their, their whatever they're doing with their water and also with your food. There is an immune system reaction that does get created and it does damage the food and it creates certain chemicals that are produced in the food when you cook it that are not digestible, that are not assimilatable. I'm not going to get into that argument. We already talked more about that in prior episodes but let's just let's just look at it what it is. And what Paul Kuchkoff's research also discovered is that when somebody has at least 10% raw food, 10 to 50% ideally raw food in combination with their cooked food, then they won't have a digestive leukocytotic um, reaction, right? So there's that too, um, keeping that balance. Okay, so. Now that I got through the bulk of all this, we can kind of just keep flowing here. So to complete this whole train of thought that we've gone through, I want to just make a basic analogy that should be familiar to you. Again, if you if you listen to the Tonic Herbal 101 um, episode, this should be a familiar idea. I want to make the analogy that um, the immediate innate immune system, the immediate line of defense – is analogous to medicinal herbalism. So again, medicinal herbalism is the form of herbal medicine that you do to treat um, a condition. You treat a, a symptom. You, you, you attack it at the head. It's already shown up at the gateway. So you have to use certain herbs to disinfect it, to attack it right there, right now. And then you have tonic herbalism, which is similar to the the acquired immune system, the secondary sophisticated line of defense. That's what tonic herbalism is. You don't use tonic herbs to treat um, a viral infection um, that's already there. To to treat a common cold or anything, what you need to do is do the, the immediate response. But then as you're building up, you're healthy and you're building up the immune system and you're creating those reserves, those energetic deposits into the immune system, then that's really the holy grail. That is the longevity principle of immunity. Okay, so let's get into the final phase of our episode here. Let's talk about a topic that um, really haven't been able to get into yet, and I was going to create an entire episode on this, but then I just realized, you know, there's so much stuff 
we're doing here. I need to kind of like pull back a little bit and I need to include it in this conversation. So we're going to talk about fasting, fasting, intermittent fasting and cyclic fasting. And, and the main point of this, and it's going to be focused on um, immunologically speaking, is on a process called autophagy. Okay, autophagy. You may have heard this word before. It's become somewhat popular in longevity, holistic health circles on YouTube. You can go on YouTube and find out a lot more in-depth information on it. Basically, what autophagy is or autophagy, people, maybe that's the right words. People have a different, it's either autophagy or it's autophagy. Either way, it's the consumption of the body's own tissues as a metabolic process occurring during starvation or disease. Let me say that one more time. It's a consumption of the body's own tissue as a metabolic process occurring during starvation or disease. So that sounds pretty intense. We're going we're gonna to go off the disease aspect of it and focus on what they call starvation. What most people call starvation, we might call fasting. We might call intermittent fasting or even cyclic fasting, which is basically when you only have one meal for a very short window, maybe one to two hours a day. That's like the that's that's the the master's model, like that's the master class of the, the entire lifestyle fasting model. Different forms of fasting, different forms of intermittent fasting, and they all have their place. So I just want to make that point. I want to drop that idea. Now, autophagy, basically, or autophagy, whoever's listening, basically what that is is breaking down and recycling protein deposits that are undigested protein deposits that are circulating in the blood that are really actually in the tissues of the body that have embedded themselves into the tissue. Protein deposits can actually embed themselves in the muscle tissue in the nervous system and create those those hard tough places when you're getting a massage or something they also get stored in the kidneys particularly that's where undigested protein will go um and also into the cells now i mentioned before cancer cells in particular they have a protein coating encasement as well as calcium phosphate crystals which we'll talk about in um two episodes from now on calcification what autophagy does is it breaks down the protein deposits and it has to go through a certain sequence um, in order to get there. So the first thing that we do in fasting, even intermittent fasting, in, in going to what's called keto adaptation, we have to we have to basically use up all the glycogen supply. Glycogen is stored glucose in the liver, and as an athlete. You know, I'm very familiar with this. It's like your second burst. It's um, that stored sugar to supply your, your blood, to, get, to keep your blood sugar basically regulated through a process called glucagon. Um, this is a little different than insulin. So glucagon is released and then the sugar in your liver is released into your bloodstream and it keeps your, your blood sugar um, even keel. It keeps it balanced, right? And then so we go through that process of depleting or exhausting the sugar supply and then your body starts to go into what's called keto adaptation. I'm, I'm simplifying the entire process for you right now. So then the, the next phase is keto adaptation. Basically, it's where your body starts to adapt 
to ketosis for burning what's called ketones, which is a it's a fat-based metabolism. Um, and there's a lot of information on this. There's a lot of different ways to do ketogenic diets, by the way. You can do it as a vegan and as a vegetarian. Most effectively as a vegetarian in that in-between space, um, I'm not going to go on my keto rant right now because most of the ways that the ketogenic diet is is proposed in my opinion, aren't really ketogenic in, in, in essence. They're, they're full of high proteinaceous, protein-rich foods that are not part of the ketogenic process, in my opinion. Um, you know, heavy meat focus, heavy eggs, heavy bacon and all this stuff. And it's like, that's not ketogenic. Like, like clarified butter, like even, even cow's milk or cow's butter, purified raw cow, or not purified, but just raw unpasteurized, unhomogenized cow's butter to me is not necessarily ketogenic because there's also casein proteins in there too. But if you do ghee butter, which is clarified, purified butter, that to me is like authentically ketogenic. So I don't know. It depends on somebody's approach, what they're trying to get out of it, how literal, I suppose, that they want to be, but you know, that, that's a digress. I need to digress from that. I just, you know, I, I wanted to bring that point in because you can do this in many number of ways. However, however, in my opinion, you can't truly go into authentic ketosis and sustain it. If you don't have some form of a fasting practice, because that's ultimately what triggers that that metabolic sequence of events it's not by putting food in your body it's not even by putting fat in your body it's actually by the limit the elimination of food altogether and then changing out the fuel supply so if you're based on carbohydrates but that doesn't work for you a lot of people do thrive on carbohydrate based approaches so you can't say keto is best for everybody right but the intermittent fasting principle remains the same if you can get yourself in the morning to just fast on caloric-free liquids like water, tea, juice, maybe you put coconut oil as a, as a, a fat supply, a fat fuel supply. You put that into your tea or your tonic in the morning and you write on that. Now you're starting to go into the right direction. Um, there's a lot more we could talk about on that, of course. I'm, I'm simplifying this, so you know, um, excuse me for not doing an entire episode on this particular topic. I just want to get a few perspectives out there. Um, I'm going to pause for just a second because I, now that we're on the topic, I opened up a part in one of my books called The Inner Alchemy Youthening Program. And there's a chapter in the book called Secrets of the Immortals. And this is basically like what I believe to be the most powerful um, approaches, lifestyle approaches that we think of like in the, the those those kind of terms, like the the, the Taoist immortals or the yogic immortals. Um, just, so just kind of weed through that language, but ultimately it's longevity, right? So there's a whole thing on fasting. I want to talk about cyclic fasting for just a second, so we clearly define that. A cyclic fast is, in its most basic sense, defined as a fasting and feeding cycle. In truth, intermittent fasting is an umbrella term used to loosely describe this concept. However, in this particular colloquial, I'm using the term cyclic fasting to describe a specific approach where one fasts for 20, for, uh, excuse me, for 16 to 23 hours a day. 
with only one solid meal within a very short feeding window while living on. So for me, I'm just telling my story here while living on the Hawaiian garden Island of Kauai, my friend Spencer Mack began telling me about his experiments with cyclic fasting where he was consuming only water, sugar free juices and teas for 23 hour per day. Um, doing that for 23 hours per day and only consuming one solid meal per day within a one hour window of time. I found this particularly interesting because he was also working out every day and doing physical labor on a living permaculture farm. So as I began to explore this more with him, I came across the work of his personal mentor, Dr. Noon Amin Ra, the world record holder in deadlifts, a full vegan bodybuilder, a physiology scientist, and a pioneer of the cyclic fasting healing modality. This type of fast is designed to be an optimization approach that is meant to maximize one's endogenous energy production through caloric restriction. Um, increase one's potential for healing scar tissue, protein deposits, sarcopenia, which is age-related tissue wasting, immune boosting, and triggering the production of longevity-enhancing hormones. Before I knew it myself, I found myself migrating from general intermittent fasting routine with raw foods, some cooked foods, superfood smoothies, and herbal tonics into a slightly modified version of the almond raw approach with my own specifications in a loose focus on calorie restriction upon my feeding window. I have found at this point in my life that I thrive in all categories of healing when I consume only one solid raw food meal per day while mostly fasting on liquids the rest of the day. And if you want to learn more about this specific modality, I encourage you to study the work of Dr. Noon Amin Ra. Okay. So that's a lot. That was, that was basically me reading an entire paragraph from my book, The Inner Alchemy Youth Inning Program. I hope that came across clear. Yeah. So, you know, this is, again, this is a longer topic. Autophagy though, just to, just to make sure this is clear and I complete this thread one of the things with autophagy is that it releases what are called autophagosomes, which collect broken down, worn out cellular debris. So ultimately, the simplification of this is that your, your body has set up in it through autophagy um, a process for collecting worn out metabolic debris, protein deposits, um, intracellular debris, extracellular debris, things that are that are around the cells in the fluid medium and are also stored in the cells like protein deposits or other scar tissue wasted material that gets stuck in the DNA and actually makes a better bedding ground for virally infected cells as well. So that's, a, that's an incredible thing to dive into, an incredible experience with fasting, intermittent fasting. There's obviously you can fast a lot longer um, and uh, so many things we could talk about with that. But I just want to keep moving here and complete this episode for all of us. So one another thing I want to kind of bring to bear here is this idea of autoimmune conditions. Autoimmune conditions, we're going to keep this super simple and short, but I couldn't not talk about the immune system and not talk about autoimmunity. Basically what autoimmunity breaks down to is that it's a confused immune system. The immune system as a whole is confused on some degree. Some element of it is out of sync. 
it's out of synergy. And there's the idea that the immune system is fighting itself. Um, it's, it's a lot more complicated than that, but that's one perspective. And it's basically confused. Let's just say that it needs to be re-updated. The program software of the immune system needs to be updated. And we do that through immune modulating herbs. And also there's a viral component to all these things, right? That's another thing. We, that's why we harped on this so much, I think. And that's why the innate immune system and the acquired immune system have to be so on par with one another. Otherwise, you're going to have a dysregulation. You're, the autoimmune condition is kind of – that's the manifestation of that. And then another thing about autoimmunity is that it's also metaphysical in nature. It's metaphorical in nature. And it, that may be the, the, the real impetus and the real stress-based um, pressure – that gets put on the immune system because the immune system breaks down when it gets too pressurized and it doesn't have the, the, it doesn't have what it needs to stand up to the onslaught of the pressure, particularly the psycho emotional pressure and the physical pressure is just kind of, is just how that all manifests. But the psycho emotional pressure, the stress, in other words, uh, it basically is one of the most powerful ways to, to downregulate or to, um, to compromise the immune system. So from a metaphysical perspective, a metaphorical perspective, people that are in conflict with themselves, they have an inner conflict. We talked about this before as well. They basically have a psychological autoimmune condition, right? They're, they have competing belief systems, competing ideas. They're not quite all moving. Their energy is not moving in the same direction. There's self-sabotage, self-defeating self identities. All that kind of thing has to be taken into account as well. And that brings us to the topic of psychoneuroimmunology. Now, we, we did a much deeper dive on psychoneuroimmunology in um, season three, it was the placebo effect. It was the, the episode on the placebo. So go back over that if you haven't listened to that. Psychoneuroimmunology basically speaks to the fact that we have neuropeptides and other brain chemicals that connect into the immune system. They connect into the white blood cells, the receptor sites of the immune system. And our immune system is being directly affected by our attitude, by our psychology, and so the idea of creating and fostering an attitude of hope and love equals the best probability for healing. Fostering an attitude of hope and love equals the best probability for healing. So I'm going to leave that at that. And the final thing before I let you all go on this, this deep dive is healing the gut microbiome. Now, I'm just reminding you because we talked about this in season three, the gut-brain connection. We went deep, deep into this, but I'm just reminding you that in order to empower the immune system and create that immunological momentum, you have to have a strong foundation, and your gut microbiome is the foundation of the immune system. 80% of your immunological function is produced in the gut, right? And this is why probiotics, prebiotics, probiotics, and fermented food is so absolutely important. This is also why it's so important to heal any digestive issues. If there's a leaky gut situation, that is going to potentially lead to 
a potential autoimmune condition or just systemic inflammation in the body, histamine reactions, um, your immune system is going to get overwhelmed and then that's going to open us up to a host of different things. So we got to heal the gut. Then there's enzyme therapy. Enzyme therapy is one of the most powerful ways to heal yourself. Um, we talked to, we've talked about it in um, different, different degrees and different episodes. There is a tremendous amount of research that's been done over many, many, many decades because enzyme therapy has been at least done through the last hundred years in the way that we know it now. And um, one of the most powerful modalities, definitely something that I find every single healing clinic um, utilizes with great efficacy, it, it has a direct effect on your immune system. Enzymes are part and parcel to immunological function, and they actually make it easier for your immune system to work effectively. Now, we're not talking about doing like three to five digestive enzymes with your meal. I'm talking about doing like 10 to 20, potentially 30 life enzymes, metabolic enzymes, high proteolytic enzymes a day right? On an empty stomach. I've done that. I've done 50 in a day. And it's great. (laughs) It's great. There's no LD50 of enzymes. There's no lethal dose of enzymes. It just gets better. I know people that have done 150 to 300 enzymes in a single day. I mean, it's, it's, you know, and this is, you find this out in healing clinics and cancer clinics. You find this kind of thing out. People are doing this all the time. So that's important information to know about. Um, and that's it. I'm going to leave us off there because um, I'm at my peak. I'm at, literally at my peak at th- today with as much as I can give. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hope it was valuable. Hope you learned a lot. And um, looking forward to our next episode on cleansing and detoxification. Until then, take care. See you soon. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of High Performance Health. Remember the saying, knowledge is power. Well, knowledge is only power when the knowledge has been applied. So, before you leave, I want to recommend five basic principles that, if done each day, will result in physical vitality, emotional well-being, and increased mental agility, as well as overall resilience to all forms of stress. Number one, take 10 deep diaphragmatic breaths each morning when waking up and each night before sleeping. Number two, remember one liter of high quality structured water each morning before eating. Number three, eat only when hungry. Do not eat too much too fast and bless your food each and every day. Number four, close your eyes. Put your hands on your heart and relax your nervous system. And number five, only use phones when necessary. Keep your back upright when on the computer and shut down screen time in 90 minutes prior to going to bed. There you go, my friend. I hope you take what you learned in this episode and create the life you deserve. 
You can support this podcast by going to www.hhphealth.com forward slash review to give us a rating and a review. This helps boost us in the iTunes ratings and makes this podcast more visible to more people in the world. You can also join the discussion on our Facebook community group by going to www.hhphealth forward slash group. And finally, you can also check out all of my current coaching programs, courses, books, podcast episodes, and more by going to www.hhphealth.com. Thank you for being part of the health and healing movement. And until next time, make the rest of your life the best of your life. Aloha.